Good morning. Good morning. Behind me is the, uh, the phrase, 안녕하세요. Um, it means hello in Korean. Can we practice saying hello in Korean? Practice saying hello in Korean? An, A-H-N, A, with an N at the end. Young, you know, young, child. Haseyo. There you go. You guys all sound very Korean this morning. <laughs> For the next 12 weeks, we'll be studying uh, the Gospel of Mark, and um, maybe here once a week, we'll, uh, I'll, I'll include a Korean phrase, if you'd like that. And by next year, uh, my next summer uh, at GA, we'll all be saying, just speaking to all the Koreans um, in our presbytery up north. Yeah. Before we jump into the chapter, I'd like to introduce our author of the book of uh, the Gospel of Mark. So the question, uh, who wrote the Gospel of Mark? The author, although he never names himself, there is a unanimous testimony of early church fathers who knew the apostles and their disciples that the author's name, the author was John Mark, who uh, happened to be a friend of Peter. Mark's house was a place where the apostles met in the very earliest church uh, days of the church. Uh, that's written in the book of Acts. And he was also a cousin of Barnabas, whom they uh, spent uh, journeying um, several times. Uh, later, John Mark uh, worked with this St. Peter, and he was with uh, him in Rome uh, when he died under Rose persecution in the mid-60s. A couple of more things. There are some who call the Gospel of Mark the Gospel according to Peter because unlike Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Luke and John, um, it begins where Peter comes into the life of Jesus. And so Peter is very uh, present, usually present, and when he is, the details are more vivid uh, than when he is not. This is uh, the author. We now want to know what a gospel is. And I'll tell us uh, what it is and what it is not. The word gospel um, neither means teaching or record, but the word captures the word news. An angel was a herald or a messenger that brought news of some historical event that had already happened. The most common examples in Greek literature are quote-unquote evangels about a victory in war or the ascension of a new king. An inscription of a royal proclamation began the beginning of the gospel, Caesar Augustus. We found an inscription of that royal proclamation. So therefore, emperors who ascended to power or um, put down a threat would send out these heralds uh, to announce uh, such news, good news, bad news, but news, about the strength of this king's uh, new kingdom or the inauguration of the king. And so that messenger would always be proclaiming a historical event, and this would introduce a new, pretty radical state of affairs for a new situation for the people and how they would have to relate to him as the, as the new king. Why is this so important to grasp, the word gospel? Because when Christians chose the word evangelion 
to express the essence of their faith. They passed over these other Hellenistic religion words that the Hellenistic religions used, such as illumination, uh, knowledge, or that Judaism used, such as instruction or teaching or wisdom. So, yes, these words, illumination, knowledge, didache, teaching, sophia, wisdom, although these words do describe Christianity, the word news um, achieves the centrality of the Christian faith. This means that the word gospel was chosen to communicate the news of what God has done for us, you and I, rather than instructing us or advising us on what we are to do for him. And the news focuses on God's work, not at all ours. And that, again, is the Christian faith, the very essence of it. Why this is so important to grasp, again, um, just to reiterate, is because in other religions, the lowercase g God, in other religions, the lowercase g gods reveal to their, his or you know, her people what they can do to find or achieve salvation, to kind of get up, to strive to get to him or her. Uh, but in Christianity, God achieves that salvation for us by coming down to us. And that's why the good news is primarily news, not, not instruction. Secondly, the gospel is, yes, all about historic events, and thus it has a public character. William Brownson uh, says, It identifies Christian faith as news that has significance for all people, indeed for the whole world, not merely as esoteric understanding or insight. So whether or not Buddha or uh, Muhammad did uh, such uh, miracle, you know, miracle A, miracle B, that it does not affect whether the Eightfold Path to Enlightenment works or not. Which is why I was saying that if Jesus did not come, and if he, or if he just remained, if he did come and just remained dead, and did not resurrect, then Christianity does not work. Christianity is also then dead. I'm not saying that it's dead, but it is alive. And so the gospel is that Jesus, uh, f- we've heard it over uh, many times maybe, and it's so good to hear again, but it, it is that he died and rose for us. And, and that is why all, all of us, um, all people, should acknowledge him and, uh, and believe in him. What are the gospels not? Uh, again, just to kind of introduce Mark, they're not, he's not instructing us. They're not basic instruction. And yes, the, although the Gospels contain dialogues and teaching, similar to Plato, uh, his philosophies, they were basically focused on the historical events surrounding one figure, historical figure, Jesus. However, though they are historical, they are not like really histories. When we compare the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we learn that they do not necessarily give accounts of Jesus' life in the same order um, in which, he, which they occurred. So yeah, not biographies, and they are not, although many people do believe that they are uh, myths because of the miraculous elements or fairy tales, um, they are not. They are not that. We go on to our eighth slide. Most scholars believe that Mark was uh, the earliest of, uh, writer of the four uh, Gospels. 
that um, if we carefully examine that, um, it looks like Matthew and um, Luke followed Mark to the many places. And the scholars are saying that it was written about 25 to 30 years before 70 AD. It's difficult that to believe he wrote it at much ap- after that because he left out the fall of Jerusalem to the Roman authorities or forces. The Jews rebelled and they, uh, their t- temple was destroyed. And so it kind of helps us lean to believe that he wrote it before then. The implications are Mark had abundant... I think my voice stopped working, sorry. That's the internship. That's the intern voice. <laughs> the croaky, uh, scratchy intern voice. Yeah, we want to recognize that um, it's important to believe this because uh, the author had abundant sources for producing an accurate account. Um, He didn't have to rely on legends that had been produced or handed down uh, that could not be verifiable. Uh, Secondly, it is uh, the implication is that um, there is a control to make it very difficult for an author to fabricate or to make up these uh, stories. For example, uh, this is decorated with a lot of flowers and ballerina slippers. Uh, But this is um, a journal, a journal my aunt uh, gave me back in 1998. The first day is uh, October 21st, 1998. Um, Dear journal. We'll look at this later, but it would be nearly impossible to write inside this journal that I was struck by lightning uh, because my mom or dad, they, uh, they were both alive in 1998. And so it'd be hard to fabricate that that story, it would have been better if I just made up, you know, some, like a white lie or something, something like before my mom and dad were born or were here to witness that. That's why the dating of Mark before 70 AD encourages us to trust his reporting. Okay, um, 9.45, we're good on time. Um, Mark chapters 1 through 8 will answer who Jesus is And Mark chapters 9 through 16 will answer what Jesus came to do. During our sixth week, I will be, I think I'll be taking a survey and ask us here if we want to just go chapter by chapter because Mark has 16 chapters and we have 12 weeks, or we take out two chapters in the middle and finish at chapter 16. And I wanted to ask you guys what you'd like to do, what you'd like for me to do. Now we're going to read Mark chapter 1. That was the introduction. Does anyone have any questions? I pray that there is no. <laughs> Let's read along uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. Follow the screen or read along in your Bibles. Um, I'll read the ESV translation. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down 
and untie. It rhymes. It sounds like a poem. <laughs> I, have been, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Verse 9, in those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and saw the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Out of the gate, uh, Mark is abrupt and blunt. Um, he asserts that the gospel is about Jesus Christ. Uh, he asserts that Jesus is the Son of God. And the Son of God is a very bold term that is being used here. Um, that's no hero. It is, it is that Jesus is God's Son. Mark wants his reader to know outright that Jesus is a divine being. The Son of God, as a title, is not referring to angels, because in the Hebrew Scriptures, uh, the angels were also occasionally called sons of God. But Mark now is going right to the heart. He's, ex he's going for straight, extreme clarity. He accomplishes this by asserting that John the Baptist is... Uh, what, he's, what John the Baptist is saying fulfills the prophecy from Isaiah chapter 40, uh, verses uh, 3 to 5. It's what um, Isaiah 40 says behind me. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough place is a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Mark is connecting what Isaiah predicted in chapter 40 to be fulfilled by John the Baptist. The Lord himself, the Lord himself will be coming to Jerusalem, and the Lord himself will be viewed or seen by uh, the world. His glory will be seen by the world. Uh, the word Lord uh, translates in the Hebrew as Yahweh, God's personal covenant name. And it is revealed, that name is revealed to Moses in the burning bush in Exodus 3. And Mark is equating John the Baptist from verse 4 as the one who is preparing the way for the Lord. And that is how Mark is going for that extreme clarity that Jesus is the Lord, the God of Israel himself. Mark is showing us that Christianity is not a new thing. He is rooting the gospel of Jesus Christ as deeply as possible in the historic ancient Israel religion of Israel. And so Jesus, the Son of God, will come and fulfill 
the longings and the visions of all the prophets and all the prophets who spoke of the Messiah to come. Jesus and his uh, gospel is rooted in the expectations of God's return to rule this earth and that this hope isn't new. Uh, This hope is rooted in the Old Testament, coming from Genesis 3.15, after the fall. So how does John, quote-unquote, pave the way for Jesus? Verses 4 through 8 tells us how Jesus is to be received. The way to receive Jesus um, is repentance. Uh, Repentance from the Westminster Shorter Catechism's question 87 answers what repentance is. Repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his or her sin, an apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, doth with with grief and hatred of his or her sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of an endeavor after a new obedience. John prepared the way of the king. He proclaimed a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. We receive this new king today as well with repenting um, and seeking this forgiveness of our sins. A major part of Jewish worship and ceremonial rites, they had various washings that had to occur, uh, that they had to con- you know, constantly do. The washings represented the need. The, it, the washings represented that they they needed to be holy or cleansed from sin in order to stand before a holy God, and so a man ordinarily would wash his hands before entering the temple, and non-Jews, which we know as uh, Gentiles, or who we know as Gentiles, um, who wanted to join Israel's worship. Um, they also they had to be baptized uh, very well. They had to be thoroughly cleansed and, um, for him to be seen as fit or uh, to be considered clean to, to enter the presence of God. Have we ever invited a friend or invited someone to worship service? And um, we may have received that response, um, I will blow up if I step into your church um, because of the life that I lead. Um, that is where we get... Uh, the idea. However, John is proclaiming to receive this king with repentance and forgiveness of sins that both Jews and Gentiles um, need to be forgiven for their sins. And, and that would be very difficult for a both, I would say, for both to, to, to enter. Um, the kingdom of God, because John is is calling everyone out to be baptized. For Jews who had to wash their hands and they could come in, uh, because they they were identifying, they self-identified as God's people, wouldn't want to get thoroughly cleansed. For a Gentile to come in would say, I've been doing this already, but now you're saying I need to get a full cleansing of uh, a baptism of the Spirit, which we'll, we'll get into. What John is getting at is that an individual's moral record, an individual's pedigree, or uh, whether uh, how rich or poor uh, an individual was, one must be saved uh, by grace to receive 
this new king or the king that is coming. And to receive the king entails um, access to the king's kingdom, um, which would make any would which would make the believer a a benefactor of all that the king has. Secondly, by repenting and being forgiven, it is signaling to all of us and to all the people here reading this at the time that an individual would not need a partial renewal, but he or she would need a total and total and complete newness. We may, we ourselves need a newness and, and one that will give us an identity as a, a new person, uh, one who God now forms and creates or sets up. It is, um, it is us, it is me who, who God makes a, a new covenant with and I, and I become a new child uh, or, or a new person in, in, in Christ. One major question that pops up every now and then uh, when, especially when we're counseling or listening to our friends who are hurt, hurting, or wound, um, who may have wounded souls, is, you know, who will cover my shame? What will I do about my guilt? Or uh, where can I take this mess? We, we can advise them to tuck them away. We can advise them to hide them under the rug or pretend that they're not real. But behind those questions is the deep concern for repentance and receiving forgiveness uh, for, their, for our wrongs. And uh, we were all there at one point, uh, scrubbing and washing ourselves. But the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament point us and all men and women uh, to something better, to something else. It is through grace, uh, through grace that we will uh, enter uh, the kingdom of God. Verses 7 and 8, and I'll read, um, And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Baptism, uh, it, it does not literally mean that we are cleansed from, it doesn't cleanse our sin literally, uh, but John is stating here that, or, or he's preaching here that immediate, the immediate baptism by Jesus with the Spirit now um, shows that water baptism has always been only just a symbol of being cleansed, but it doesn't literally wash your sin away. The baptism with the Spirit is something that every Christian receives when he or she believes. It unites us, uh, him or her, to Christ. Uh, we call this union with Christ. If we read what John is saying, it, there's an enormous attitude of uh, submission to, the, to this man he describes as mightier than I uh, the strap of whose sandals I'm unworthy to stoop down and untie. Why? What makes this statement so remarkable is uh, that a slave, by uh, Jewish law, could not be required to untie the sandals of the of someone's smelly feet. 
John is insisting that he himself is unworthy to even aspire to tie the sandals or untie the sandals of the Son of God. John honors Jesus with such a high stature and high dignity. And I hope this would remind us this morning that we are also his. We are completely Jesus's uh, people. He being our absolute Lord, and we acknowledge him with such reverence. I hope this isn't too off track, but (laughs) I just want to read the first entry from my journal uh, that my aunt uh, gave me. It's uh, dated October 21st, 1998. Uh, Dear journal, today was fine and fun. I write like Mark. (laughs) Um, I went to school and wrote a get well card to Christy. She removed her tonsils. Then I went to math. After that, our class went to computer lab. See, immediately, immediately. (laughs) I finished my first chapter. Then we ate lunch and did recess. Our soccer team won because of Alex, Lytle, and Aaron. Last, we did science. We We had a full sheet. It was fun. When I went home, I watched Doug. Sorry for watching Doug. And then I watched Batman, Superman Adventures. I was 10. I was 10. But this is unjustifiable right here. (laughs) I ate chicken, mashed potatoes, and this Korean food. Then I started my homework while eating yogurt and drinking one-calorie Pepsi. Oh, I forgot. Before math, we went to PE. We did some exercise. Then we took a picture with Miss Shakonis because she was leaving to high school to be a PE teacher. Then I got an autograph from her. Okay, now back to where we left off. Then I ate dinner. After 30 minutes, mom came home. Then I did piano. Mr. Mr. Goldberger called. And here I wanted to point out and highlight that we took a picture with Ms. Chaconis as she was leaving to go to high school to be a PE teacher. And then I wrote that I got an autograph from her. And 25 is it 25 years from, yeah, her, her autograph is still here, as I just, I taped her autograph into my journal, yeah, I, I okay, I don't want to, okay, so that was it, John would want to have Jesus's autograph, that is how much he revered Jesus, the next four verses, um, Mark chapter 1, 9 through 13, it tells us, what the baptism of the Spirit now means and what it brings to us, whoever receives him. So here I'll just paraphrase, summarize that we see the triune God in this one verse, a couple verses, one verse. Jesus comes out of the water. Immediately he sees the heavens being open, torn open, and the Spirit descends on him like a dove. And then the voice that comes from heaven is, you are The father speaking to his son, you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. The baptism with the spirit is one of sonship. Sonship. The spirit here is assuring Jesus that yes, you are loved by me and the father. And two, I am pleased with you as my son. The voice... From heaven said so himself, you are my beloved son. And this is a word of affirmation that is reserved for Jesus, particularly uh, 
and uniquely because he is the eternal, natural Son of God. But the Bible also tells us that, not but, I use the word but not to negate what I just said, but to add on. And the Bible also says that we are God's children as well. John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13 tells us that we become children of God as we are born again. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. John 3 um, speaks more on being reborn, being born again. I really like that picture, uh, that God adopts us one at a time into his family. So whenever a man, uh, male or female, whenever we believe in Christ, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes in and imparts God's own life and nature to us, just like a biological child would receive his parents' uh, nature. But there is, it's more than that. There is an additional work of the Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? He effectually calls us. Shorter Catechism, question 31 what is effectual calling tells us, uh, answers. Effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit, whereby He convinces us of our sin and of our misery, enlightens our minds in the knowledge of Christ. He renews our wills, and He doth persuade, He does persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ, freely offered to us in the good news, the gospel, in the gospel. It goes to show that our hearts are, are desperately in need of direct assurance. It is hard to believe deep down that we could be unconditionally or even counter-conditionally loved by a, a God as our Father. And um, the Spirit, however, floods us with this assurance that just like He did uh, with His Son, uh, Jesus, at His baptism, we, we hear about the word, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, all the, maybe, maybe not all the time. But we do hear it here and there, I, I think. But here we, we, we see that verse, uh, Philippians, uh, is it 4.13? I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. And so if we use that out of context, we think we can fly off cliffs because of Christ who strengthens me. That would be misuse. Um, but he or she doesn't have the power of the Holy Spirit to fly. We have to understand what the power of the Holy Spirit brings us. It, it makes us something. Uh, when Jesus says, I will make you uh, fishers of men, he's going to now make us sons and daughters of God, and then he will continually remind us so that we may press and lead lives um, in consistency with that tremendous fact that he is our Father. So we could lead lives now in, in confidence, purity, joy, and wonder. I stand here before you as a nervous wreck, but I am confident that my Father loves me uh, very deeply, and so I need to stop being nervous. <laughs> Are you as nervous as, as I am? <laughs> Share my burden. <laughs> Mourn with me. <laughs> All right. Um, Thank you. Verse 12 and 13 now tells us the Spirit of God makes 
I'll read it. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels ministering to him, were ministering to him. So as I was saying, the Spirit of God makes us um, his children. And uh, as much as we hate going out there in these wilderness spaces, the Spirit himself drove Jesus there to that space. And so what, what, what can we take away? What, what might we glean from this? It's that the wilderness for Christians, the Spirit of God makes it a place of growth. I used to have a very strong lisp in high school, so it would have sounded like a place of gross. Um, uh, and so it isn't gross. Uh, the wilderness, it, it, it is gross, but for Christians, it's not an ick. It's, a, it's more of a lick. We, we're going to enjoy that God would take us there, with us there, and not on accident. Uh, rather, it is a part of God's work, the Spirit's work in our lives to, to, to make us, um, to make us, we can expect, to make us expect that suffering produces hope. We are Christians now reminding, as Jesus intercedes for us all the time, he reminds us that we belong to him. And while other religions and ideologies of the world and philosophies of the world, they may explain uh, the purposes or reasons for your suffering. Christianity takes it a step further, and it clarifies what suffering does to a person. It produces hope to us. It makes us more compassionate towards others. It makes us more empathetic towards the sufferers. And it makes us more ultimately like uh, the Son of God, Jesus last two verses, here we go, Uh, verses 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Uh, The question we, this answers now is, what is the message of Jesus? Um, We need an explanation, an explanation. One, the message Jesus uh, is proclaiming is the good news, the gospel. Two, uh, that the kingdom of God is near. It's at, it, it's at hand. And three, the way to relate to this king's message, gospel, is to repent and believe what is happening and what happened. It's to how to relate to his message. Um, for example, I was... When... Pastor Bullock and Rick announced that Becca and I would be visiting. We, we were all to relate to that message or that news, and you welcomed us so warmly. And so in that illustration, this is how we are now to receive and respond to the gospel of, of Jesus. Jesus is proclaiming here now that man must enter, uh, must be admitted in by admitting um, his or her sins, um, and trusting in the king. What used to work, or how we would get, accept, how we would get in to any, any club or a particular organization is we'd have to be worthy to be in, to get in. We'd have to accomplish 
uh, great tasks to, to be rewarded or granted access, special access and all the privileges to get in. But the kingdom of God, it's, it's sort of it's upside down, as we'll, we'll see later on in Mark. To get in is to repent and, and trust and believe in the gospel uh, that Jesus wants us. Uh, Jesus knows we need it, and this is why we're so grateful here uh, that we have heard the good news and we've responded accordingly um, to God's will and, and trusted him. So as we study through the Gospel of Mark, the 16 chapters, we are going to learn to kind of capture what we just talked about, who the king is and what he came to do. The announcement at the time created such uh, a wonderful excitement. Why is the kingdom near, or why is the kingdom only at hand if the king is already here? That seems a bit mysterious. Why didn't Jesus say here, I am I myself am the king, and I am here, and therefore the kingdom of God is already here with me. Why didn't he not say that? It goes to show that, yes, Jesus is here, and by him saying that the kingdom of God is at hand, that he hasn't yet set, set the kingdom up, that there must be something to do um, for, that to, for God's rule and for God's kingdom to be established. And so... The gospel of the kingdom is a upside-down pattern, as we know, and as we'll hear from Isaac, our other intern, what Jesus did to accomplish that on the cross and in his resurrection. To take away the last thing is, may we be reminded and encouraged this morning that we are accepted um, as God's children, not because my or your ability or merit, but through sheer grace and repentance, the hard work of repentance, one that the Holy Spirit has given us by effectually calling us. Amen? Before I pray, are there any questions? Evangel? The news. The good news. I'll answer that question next week. I've often heard it that it is bad news for those who are perishing. And I've heard that, and we, it is said in, in the book of, uh, is it Romans? That those who, they, they find it to be very, you know, stinky, that, that it, it's not good news for those who are dying, right? But it's good news, it becomes good news by just the work of the Spirit. But I'll still answer your question next week. Has it always been called you're saying is the word good in, installed into evangel? Right, okay. Right, right, right. Does anyone know the answer to that question? <laughs> yes, thank you. Eulogy. Oh. Good word. Yeah, see? Thank you. Thank you. If this was the floor exam, I'd have uh, been crushed. That was a great question. Does anyone have other great questions? <clears throat> yes. Um, that verse uh, telling us about for all of us to look at it too um, in verse 6, 7 or 6 this, this evidence or detail um, you're asking if Elijah that John is the he's a okay he 
he is, I, I want to say he is Elijah. As, but then that's so, too, so concise that, that I, I, I don't know how to unpack that. He, yeah. This detail, I think, was in, is included to, um, to say that uh, the prophet speaking of Elijah to come, the spirit of Elijah, that John the Baptist would have that, um, have, have as, yes. Thank you for another great question. Um, but yeah, did, I don't know if I answered that question well. Anyone else want to? Yeah, next week, um, I, I want to take surveys. I really do want to appreciate and love on the, us here. Um, but I don't know if PowerPoints are more or less helpful. Um, I'm right there in the middle, millennial. I don't know what I am, but millennial. <laughs> I have uh, so many handwritten things. <laughs> I actually want to show you one day the collection of journals I have. But... Um, That'll come in Mark chapter 9, I think. So, um, yeah, I don't know. PowerPoints, I still have that, that queasy feeling between PowerPoints and handwrite, read, written notes, you know. Let's pray. Yeah. Our gracious Father, just thank you for who you are. And, um, and on the best day of the week, we get to gather here and just to um, worship you, Lord, um, revere you and give you all the respect and love that you that you deserve. God, we come to you, God, um, acknowledging that you are, you have sent uh, your one and only son to die for our sins and to, and for us he rose again so that we may have new life. And we um, understand with that comes um, spaces of wilderness, times of wilderness. Um, God, but you are producing hope in us. And God, uh, we, we ask that you would draw near to those who are mourning and, comf and then comfort them and also rejoice with those who are rejoicing um, and also comfort them and that, so that we may feel safe and secure in your loving and wise and holy and righteous ways and will. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.